Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of divorce and remarriage, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcasts, most of the things that I've talked about are quite practical in nature, practical in the sense that I have been able to explain the law directly. You can just go right to the law and see the circumstances that the Lord spoke of concerning the subject related to divorce and remarriage. And, of course, there were some circumstances that he permitted that a divorce occur. There were circumstances when he required that a divorce occur. There were circumstances when he forbade a remarriage to occur. There were times when he permitted a remarriage to occur. And I went through the scriptures in order to show you something very specific, and that is that, for the most part, the way that people forbid or permit marriages or divorces or remarriages to occur today, those positions that people take are, in general, contradictory. They contradict what God has said in the Mosaic Law. And this, of course, happens due to a number of reasons. One of the reasons is because they do not know the law. Another reason has to do with the fact that they are misinterpreting things in the New Testament, which I will be getting to very soon. But what I want you to understand is that the passages in the New Testament are there. They need to be understood. But I can just about guarantee you that if your conclusions contradict the Mosaic Law, if your interpretation or your understanding of those passages in the New Testament contradict what we have in the Old, I personally believe that those conclusions are invalid. Now again, in the previous programs, I was quite practical with relevance to a number of subjects, but in this program, I'm just going to deviate just a little bit from the theme that I've been speaking about before and talk about this from a spiritual point of view, from a relational point of view between us and our God. One of the ways that we could look at this is if a person is divorced, do they have access to the temple? Do they have access to the church? Does a person have a right to have a relationship with their God just as any other would? Now, this is a very important question because you probably know some people, if not yourself, who have been divorced. And when a person is divorced, quite often they find that their church, their denomination, their pastor, their priest, whoever, will look at them as an individual who is so defiled that they are not accepted in the church under any circumstances whatsoever. In some cases, they may be allowed to enter, they may be allowed to participate to a certain extent, but even then, the individual is looked at as though they are spiritually defiled and they are a threat to anyone else there because, you know, they might marry somebody there. And if they marry somebody there, well, then they have committed a terrible crime because of this or that or whatever 
people will take that kind of a position with divorced individuals and treat them, treat them as if they are infectious, as if they really are defiled in an eternal way. If you have never seen this, if you don't know what I'm talking about, all I can say is is that you need to get out a little bit more often because this happens a lot. And I personally believe that it is totally unacceptable. I really do. But, you know, there are many priests and many pastors, many religious people who have this kind of an attitude towards people who have been divorced. And those who have been divorced and who encounter people like this can easily find themselves living in shame, in guilt, for the rest of their lives, regardless of how they might be able to justify their divorce or remarriage for that matter. They may still live as though they are the evil ones because somebody keeps telling them that they are. Now, I personally will tell you directly that if you are ashamed of something like this, to the extent that you believe that your God looks at you any differently than he looks at any other who has had to deal with a situation like this, if you think that's the case, then you need to get in touch with the fact that he does not hold any of your sins against you. You have to revisit the subject of the cross, of forgiveness, and you have to recognize through what he accomplished that he does see you as holy. He does not see you as defiled. And so if other people do then that should be a declaration to you that these are people who probably need to mature a little bit in their relationship with their God if they've got one at all. That's the bottom line. Do not let anyone put you in a position such that you are separated from your God, especially due to a situation such as this. There is an example of this in Leviticus. For example, in Leviticus chapter 22, Beginning in verse 10, I'm going to begin in verse 10, where it says, No outsider shall eat the holy offering. One who dwells with the priest or a hired servant shall not eat the holy thing, referring to the food that would be given for the priests for the worship in the sanctuary. No outsider and no hired servant And no visitor, no one, can eat the holy offering of God. Continuing into verse 11. But if the priest buys a person with his money, he may eat it. And one who is born in his house may eat his food. So those are some exceptions in order to identify the fact that, yes, There is an opportunity for somebody to eat the holy offerings if they are not a priest because they are a slave of the priest or they are a child who was born in his household. He would have ultimate authority over any child that is born in his household. That was the law of God. Continuing into verse 12. If the priest's daughter is married to an outsider, she may not eat of the holy offerings. Now, does this mean that she is defiled in some way because she got married? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean that she is infectious in some way because she got married? No. Does it mean that she is unholy or unsanctified in any way because she got married? No, absolutely not. 
That has nothing to do with it. This has to do with the symbolic representations concerning those things that are holy and that the Levitical priesthood was exclusive in the land of Israel. So if his daughter is married, she goes and becomes a part of someone else's household. She is no longer part of her father's household. She no longer has access to the holy things of God with respect to the holy offerings that are described here. But if you continue to read in verse 13, it says, But if the priest's daughter is a widow or divorced, and has no child, and has returned to her father's house, as in her youth she may eat her father's food, but no outsider shall eat it. Now, please consider the implications here. There is, of course, a lot to be said in this verse. For now, I'd just like to focus on the part of this verse where it says that she is divorced. We don't have to talk about what happens if she's widowed or if she has a child. In this case, just simply focus on the circumstance of divorce because that's the subject at hand. A woman gets married. Before she's married, she has access to the holy things of God that no one else in the nation of Israel has access to under any circumstances whatsoever. She gets married. And then, due to whatever reason, she gets divorced. A divorce takes place. She returns to her father's household. If she returns to her father's household, divorced, does that mean that she is eternally defiled? Does this mean she has no access to the holy things of God? She has no access to God. It doesn't mean that at all, but you would think that it does, considering how much people talk about divorce in the church and in religion, how much they talk about it as being the unpardonable sin, and that if you are divorced, you are the ultimate representation of eternal defilement. That's how people look at it. That's how people talk about it. They impose this on people all the time. But here we have an example in the scriptures, in the law of God that says that you, if you are a woman in this situation, which is what? It's simple. You got married and then you got divorced. That's it. We don't have to worry about under what reason, what sin was committed, what were the circumstances. It has nothing to do with that at all. Absolutely nothing. You have access to the living God, to the holy things of God. You have access to such a degree that no one else in the nation of Israel, to include those who have never been divorced, they don't have access to God and the holy things of God as you do. Now, we could also consider this with respect to a man, but in this case, I want you to see that, yes, there is a separation between a daughter and her father, She gets married, and then there's a separation between the daughter and her husband, and she returns to her father's household, and she has access to the holy things of God. And this, to me, is something that needs to be considered when people take the position that a divorced individual has no access to the living God. They have no access to his church. They have no access to his sanctuary, and they have no access to the holy inheritance 
of the living God that is available to all of his children. When anybody suggests that someone has no access to these things due to divorce, it is my opinion, based on Leviticus chapter 22, verses 10 through 13, that this person has committed a crime against another person by lying to them or by deceiving them into believing something that isn't true. If you are someone who has been divorced and who is being treated in this way, do not ever let those people have access to your life ever again. Those people do not deserve in my opinion, the holy things of God, especially under that basis. And I would question whether they are saved at all. What else do we have in the scriptures that relates to this? How about the New Testament? I'm going to turn there for just a moment. I will be spending a lot of time in the New Testament soon. Have some patience with me. In the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, who does Jesus go to speak with? Who does he talk with? about who he is. He revealed himself as the Messiah, publicly, personally, to who? The woman at the well. The woman at the well, who he spoke to. We have the record of this in John chapter 4. What was her marital status? What was her situation? She had five husbands. Five husbands! And the one who she was with at that time, not the husband, but the person, the man who she was living with at that time, was not a husband. She had not married him. The Lord Jesus himself speaks with this woman, and he had a lot to say to her. Spend some time looking at what he had to say to this woman in John chapter 4. And consider the implications of him telling her, of him acknowledging to her that she had... Six men in her life, five are recognized by the living God, manifested in the flesh as husbands, and one of them is definitely not a husband, and he identifies that correctly as well. Does he say you had one husband and five other men in your life who were not husbands? No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that you can only be married once, that is your husband, for all eternity. No, he said you were married five times. He recognized that she had five marriages, and therefore she probably had five divorces, maybe four, but she had five divorces, and she's with somebody who he says is not her husband because she is not married to him. Do you understand the implications of this? that the living God himself speaks to this woman on that level. And what else did he have to say to her? What else did he tell her? How about things like, if you knew the gift of God, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Well, how dare he give her living water, right? She's been divorced. Do you see what happens? People will say that divorce is evil to the extent where you 
will never have access to your God, and yet God himself, right here, says that a divorced woman has access to him, and that if she will only ask for what he has to offer, he will give all that he has to offer. She can experience eternal life in verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Do you think he was saying that just to tease her? Just to say, listen, this is something that everybody else around you can have, but you can't have because you've had five husbands. No, he doesn't say that at all. He reaches out to her and says, you are someone who I want. You are someone who I will give myself to. That yes, I understand the pain and the suffering that you have experienced with the relationships that you have had with other people, but this has nothing to do with the relationship that you will have with me. Nothing to do with it at all. The Lord said to her that I am here for you. I am your Messiah. If you will see me for who I am, if you will ask me for what I have to offer, I will give to you what I have to offer, just as he would give anyone else. You must see this. You must understand the implications of this. Because if you don't, if you don't see this, it will be very easy for you to become a victim of somebody's religious delusion, of somebody's religious fantasy that they have created or that they have inherited from some other teacher or some other pastor or whoever. You will be subject to a lie, to something that somebody has just created out of their own fantasy and they are imposing this fantasy on you in such a way that it will affect you for your whole life. Just because, why? Just because you believe them instead of looking into the scriptures to see what God has already had to say about this subject yourself. Do not let people do this to you. You be responsible for your relationship with your God. You be responsible for your decisions in life. And you embrace what the Lord has revealed. I believe that if you are in a circumstance that is related to this, that you personally can speak with the Lord about your situation, that you can see something that is so obvious as this, and you can apply it yourself to your own circumstance. You do not need me to give you approval or disapproval, you take the word of God that I have shown you and you go to the Lord himself about what he has had to say and ask him to speak to your heart concerning this. And you live with the conviction that he will give you and do not let anyone tell you otherwise. You know, people speak about marriage and divorce as if it really is an eternal issue. Now, I do believe that marriage is extremely important between two people, between a husband and a wife, that even though they are not slaves of one another in the sense that they are free to depart from each other, 
that it still is holy. It still is sacred. And I always say the same thing to people when it comes to the struggles of marriage. I always say, whatever you do, try to find some way to stay together. Do whatever you can to do that. I really do believe that people can, in general, find ways to stay together. And if they can't, if they fail to do so, to just simply acknowledge that that's the case and move on with life. But I really do believe in the holiness of marriage, in the sacredness of marriage, that it should be between one man, one woman, that they should see themselves as a couple, as a unified people, two people together. I really do believe that. But you know, marriage is not eternal. It isn't. You're not going to be married in heaven. Likewise, divorce is not eternal. Not in that sense either. If marriage is not eternal, why would you say that divorce is eternal? It is not an eternal issue. It is something that exists here on earth. It is something that God has established that should be honored and respected without question. But I want you to consider the fact that it is not eternal only because people are talking about it as if it is, especially when they're talking about it in the context of eternal consequences in the event that a failure occurs between two people to stay together. In the Gospel of Luke, for example, Jesus was questioned about this. He was questioned. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20, beginning in verse 27, it says, Then some of the Sadducees, who denied that there is a resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, and he dies without children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died without children, and the second took her as wife, and he died childless. Then the third took her, and in like manner the seven also. And they left no children and died. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as wife, right? I mean, it's a serious question. It is, and it's a very important one. It's an important question because Jesus answered them. In verse 34, Jesus answered and said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Nor can they die any more, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. In other words, there is no marriage in heaven. These things are not determined through marriage or divorce or whether you're a widow or not, whether you have children or not even. Please understand this, that when it comes to your eternal relationship with your God, temporary things will not enter into that. Temporary things, and marriage is a temporary thing, even though it is sacred, even though it is holy, just because you're married, just because you find a way to stay married, doesn't mean that that is going to have anything to do with your relationship with your God. Your relationship with your God is between you and your God, not between you, your spouse, and your God. 
Now, certainly, two people who are married can enjoy the mutual relationship that people have and be together as one. I understand that. But when it comes to this subject of divorce, when people are expressing condemnation towards people who have been divorced, expressing condemnation towards them, as if there is some eternal separation between them and their God. There is no eternal separation between a person who is divorced any more than there is an eternal separation between a person and their God, a person who is married. Because when your flesh dies, your marriage dies with it, and your divorce dies with it as well. There will be a resurrection into the kingdom that he is speaking of here. And when that takes place, and you see the place that you have in the kingdom of heaven, you will see what I speak of. If you don't see it now, you will see it then. The Lord will not close the gates of heaven to anyone who has been divorced or married, and he will not delay the distribution of the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus right now due to such struggles. And so if there is anyone in your life, anyone who intervenes between you and your God and suggests to you that you will not receive of the inheritance of the living God that you have in Christ Jesus according to the gospel, which is based on forgiveness and resurrection. If there is someone who is in your life who assumes the posture or the position to declare to you such things, then this person has no place in your life. They have no authority. Put them out of your life. Don't be a part of them anymore. Do not participate in who they are or with what they do. Listen, I understand that this can be quite complicated when it comes to family relationships and relationships that you may have in a church. But folks, that's what it's going to take. That is what it's going to take for you to begin to grow in Christ Jesus through this circumstance in your life. There is no way that you will be loved and accepted by your God when you are constantly bombarded by people who tell you otherwise. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,